2: But let's look back a little bit, Dan, because the Bears, 3-14, and, and it was historically bad, as we have said on a, on many occasions. They set a record for losses in a, in a season. They are now in the midst of a 10-game losing streak that will carry into next year. And I think the question that we both have at the end of Matt Eberflus first season is, what do the Bears have in a game day coach in Matt Eberflus? And I and I want to be able to be positive about it, and, but I think that we still don't know a lot. And grading him is difficult, even though the 33rd team, which is a really fun website for people who love football – ex-coaches, ex-players, ex-executives, they gave Flusi a D for his first season. I think that's a little harsh because I think there's a lot that we don't know.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's harsh because of what he had to work with from a a talent and depth standpoint going into the season and then the trajectory the season took after they traded away their two defensive captains and got bitten by the injury bug toward mid-season. I think what's interesting partially about this, David, and it does tie a little bit back into Kevin Warren's hiring because I had someone in the league say to me on Wednesday that as impressive as this move was for the Bears, it's still sort of in reverse order, right? You hired the president after you already hired the general manager and the head coach after you had already drafted the quarterback in a previous regime. And so the Bears have kind of done these steps backwards from what sort of organizational health would have for you. And it's relevant because... Kevin Warren doesn't have any emotional attachment to the hiring of Matt Eberfuss, just like Ryan Poles didn't have any emotional attachment to the drafting of Justin Fields. And so there are benefits to that and being able to see things through clear eyes, sober eyes. But there are also things that that we have to at least keep our fingers on the pulse of in, in regards to would Kevin Warren have made this hiring of these two men if he were in charge before they were hired? And so then that puts a whole different set of lenses on the evaluation of things. Um, obviously, I think there's a lot to dig deeper on with Matt, and I think we we can both agree that even starting in training camp, you saw an implementation of standards, you saw um, exactly what he wanted in his program, and you saw an immediate response to that. My question all along was, how long could you sustain that response? And as the failures add up, including and not limited to a 10-game losing streak to end the season... How long do you have the players' attention for before you have to produce results to keep their attention?
2: Well, let's start with the fascinating hypothetical with Kevin Warren. What would he have done last offseason had this been in reverse order? I don't think it's highly practical to go into that, but because I don't know that um, it, it serves much of a purpose, I don't think that he's not gonna now come in and fire any anybody. But I, but I do wonder. I, I do wonder if he would have gone this route and I doubt that he would have only because of my first impression of Kevin Warren is that he likely would have valued experience much more than the Bears did in this most previous search for GM and a head coach. When you again go back to the Bears way of doing business before Kevin Warren, they were giving (laughs) opportunities to learn on the job and do it for the first time. That doesn't seem to be the path that Kevin Warren would have taken had he been in charge of the search for GM and a head coach. So I think we might have different answers to those questions and different people on those jobs only because my sense is that he would have taken a bit more of a practical approach to to problem solving and hired people who have done it before.
0: Well, and, and the other part of it is just trying to get a better feel for what Kevin's vision is for how successful football teams need to operate and run. And so maybe you are in the camp where you say, hey, wait a second, we've got a young quarterback here. We have to prioritize his development. And I would like to see that paired with somebody in the league that has offensive vision and and is going to have everything in mind. Now the Bears got Luke Getzey. And I think the union, as we've talked about on this podcast between Luke and Justin is very valuable for them, but it may be interrupted at some point. Luke Getzey is going to coach the senior bowl and we'll get into that in a couple minutes, but He may use that experience to have a great 2023 and be onward to to bigger and better things after this season. And so, you know, would Kevin Warren have been more attracted to Brian Dable, perhaps? Would he, in your um, vantage point with valuing experience, gravitated toward Dan Quinn? A guy who has been to a, a Super Bowl as a head coach and has an energy and is going to get another crack at this really soon. Uh, so it, it, it's hard to say, but at the very least, now he's got to come in and, and, and take over the oversight of Ryan Poles, who's overseeing Matt Eberflus, And then collectively, they have to figure out what are we after and how can we get it done? Because obviously, as we've said before, the celebration of three and 14 is a never again celebration, right? Like Bears fans are never going to be as forgiving as they were these past eight months.
2: I just want to get this out of the way because it's a question that we'll get sometimes on a text line or maybe a phone call to the morning show. And certainly some fans will will, will wonder the the answer to this. So if if the Bears are, in fact, starting over and you lose 14 games and a 10-game losing streak, you are hitting rock bottom. What would prevent Kevin Warren from coming in and doing exactly what you described? This isn't his guy. Uh, he doesn't have any emotional attachment to Matty Reflues if there is a Sean Payton out there. If there is a, you know, we saw the Cubs do it with Joe Madden and Ricky Renteria didn't deserve to lose his job as a manager of the Cubs back in 2015. But it's a different sport, but the same idea. What, what What is preventing Kevin Warren from starting over and hitting reset on the head coach?
0: Like modern day, like presently today? Right now. Yeah, because I just I don't think he operates that way. I think his track record is of sort of operating under the standpoint of um, allowing people under his watch opportunity, and then really one of the things that the Kevin Warren scouting report offers up that I think has been under publicized and not talked about it enough is his prioritization of developing the people that are below him. And I think he takes great pride in that. And I think he's going to want to have at least one year with Ryan Poles and, and to, to, to be in the lab with him and to work with him, try to make him better at what he does, try to get better from hearing Ryan's insight and perspective on things. And then by extension, that trickles down to Matt Buflus and his coaching staff. And so I think obviously there's bigger things on Kevin's plate yet. We don't even know when his official start date is. So if you don't even have an official start date, you can't exactly oversee a hiring process. We know how grueling that is uh, at this time of year for the organizations that are in it. Um, And so, yeah, you know, but look, you can't rule that out for 2024. I mean, you just can't. If the Bears, you know, are in last place and lose 15 games and there are obvious signs of dysfunction, then that president was brought in to make hard, firm decisions. And we'll see where they take it. But obviously, there's a lot that is going to happen between now and then, that will give us a clearer picture of, of which direction this thing's pointed in.
2: I agree. Well put. I needed to get that sort of asked and answered because it does come up every now yeah, and then. Like, hey, Sean Payton's out there. Go get him. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. All right, Dan, when you look at strengths and weaknesses for Matt Eberflus's first season on game days, I think the start with the strengths, is it's, it's a very intangible thing. But you look at, number one, the culture that was created is a positive one. They're going to cling to that, and it's going to be one of these ambiguous terms that people you know, get tired of hearing, but I do think it's something that is in his favor if you're checking a, a box in terms of a, a pro and con. That's a pro. Secondly, they were very disciplined in terms of yeah. eliminating and reducing the penalties. That's a good thing. And thirdly, I do think that overall, this was a team that uh, is tied into this discipline it's tied into the culture but they competed you can just look until it was week se- 17 i think before that you got to the point where you wondered about the bears compete level and that's a testament to the coaching staff and it starts with matt Eberflus. so i think those are kind of you know minimal steps that were taken but i think there were positives in the first season of, of uh, floocy
0: that last point I come down a little bit on I, I, my excitement isn't as high on the competitive level because they lost a whole bunch of games by three scores and and more than, than most teams in the league and more than most Bears teams. And part of the, the compete level that they got was having a roster full of unproven young guys who are treating every rep that they have as a, a proving ground. And eventually you're going to develop your roster to a point where you're not going to have that natural hunger of guys trying to prove themselves. And you're going to have to keep the attention of guys who are already proven and established and get the most out of them. Them in situations when struggle occur. I do think that reducing and eliminating penalties is one thing. The other part of it was just the the reduction in sloppiness. I mean, how many times down the stretch of the Matt Nagy era would they you know, call a timeout and come out of the timeout and have confusion or disorder and get a false start penalty or a delay a game? And you're just like, how in the world do things like that happen? And they were happening repetitively. Matt Eberflu seem to have a much greater organization to everything that goes on on game day. And I, I give them a lot of credit for that because you didn't have a, a whole bunch of those moments where you're pushing back your chair from the press box the table and going, what in the world was that?
2: Also, from an old school uh, standpoint, like if people that appreciate these kinds of things, the fact that the Bears ended the season 17 games with one unsportsmanlike conduct penalty and one unnecessary roughness penalty, I think speaks to the whole idea of the the team that was, that was evidence of coaching to me. It was, it was ingrained in their head that there was a line they couldn't cross. And that's a good thing. And that's somewhere to work with when you have core players that are understanding of that and are coachable to the point where they understand the points of emphasis with this regime and with this coaching staff.
0: So here you have another trait that Kevin Warren is going to be attracted to in an trait that Matt Eberflus is going to be attracted to. It's the mutual attention to detail and, and the ability right. to see results out of an attention to detail. That's exactly what you're talking about there. You talk about the 33rd team giving Matt a grade of D and, and you know, that's not just some ragtag group of basement bloggers. You know, that's a, a, an assembled uh, cast of uh, established league folks who have been around a lot. And there were obviously things that, that they weren't impressed by. And so, it is worth keeping the microscope on to try to figure out what direction Matt Eberflus takes in year two. And then just to parlay on top of that, and we'll hear from Matt here in a second is the idea that, you know, again, we talked about it when the locker room cleaned out, the day after the season ended and Justin Jones talked about having issues that the players wanted to vocalize to the coaching staff to open up lines of communication to get things answered that they didn't feel like they had direct answers to during the season. And then Jalen Johnson went on 670 to score a little while later and and he, while he wouldn't specify sort of doubled down on that sentiment and saying, look, there were things from a player standpoint that weren't smooth, that weren't the way that that we would prefer them to go. And so they, you know, look like again Chicago is going to forgive three and fourteen one time, but if these types of sentiments continue to pop up in twenty twenty three and beyond, all of a sudden there's going to be a much louder crescendo of of angst and criticism that comes out in relation to these types of things. And the Bears have to figure out a way over this offseason to to elevate themselves in that way. And that's Matt and his coaching staff taking constructive criticism and figuring out what to do with it.
2: So that's why it was interesting to hear him answer the question about what he took from that kind of feedback that he got from the players.
1: It was great. It was uh you know really good to sit down and visit with every guy every everybody and uh, it took some time you know it was uh we opened up and said hey let's you know anything you can give us to get better at you know from you know if it's the training room the equipment room you know if it's the coaching if it's uh the facility um, whatever it is, relationships, whatever that might be, and it was let's uh, let them talk. You know, I think it was uh, refreshing for those guys to be able to voice uh, their opinions, uh, especially when both him and I are sitting there. I think that's a pretty cool environment for those guys, and it was great. Um, and so, the really the biggest takeaway from us was that you know we did lay foundation. That the locker room was really positive. The energy was always there. Um, the messaging, you know, in terms of the coaching staff, in terms of our team meetings, was was outstanding. And and really. We you know we came away with some some things to correct, you know. Uh, none of the players want they want to be in pads after uh, Thanksgiving. I said, "Well, it's too bad you got to be in pads." <laughs> but uh, you know, so uh, I said, "I'll take that under advisement." Um, but. Uh, Yeah, so that was, uh, there was a couple of things in there, but really what we can do is just to improve our relationships, you know, and I think it was pretty good, but I think it'll be even better coming up year two, you know, that we built the foundation now with these young guys and the guys that we have uh, currently in the locker room. So it was good. That speaks to what
2: Kevin Warren was talking about when he was introduced, everything being about relationships and rapport, and that goes a long way. Uh, in terms of a coaching staff and his and his connection with players and th- their ability to reach those players. The better the relationship, the tighter the connection, obviously.
0: Yeah, I give Flus credit for soliciting that feedback and being open to it. It doesn't seem like it was a hollow request for feedback. Like, yeah, let me know what you think. And I'm just going to disregard and ignore all of it. Now it's all about implementing it. And by the way, you're going to be implementing it with a, a roster that's going to be largely different in a lot of different ways going into 2023. So that presents its own sort of nuances and 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 challenges to that whole thing. Um, I, you know, like Matt is going to have to figure out, in terms of the relationship building process, how to connect. And I think if you hear a criticism in certain pockets, it's that, you know, he can come across as stiff. He can come across as very football coach guy, you know, and I think it's a new world in that, in that, uh, arena you know and we, we experienced some of that with the the demar hamlin discussion that we had a few weeks ago in terms of you know players wanting a forum to express emotions to uh deal with the pressures and the the, the mental health challenges of of being in this high profile sport with a lot at stake and so you know you have to, to to evolve and you have to to be willing to evolve with some of those things um this is not a condemnation of anything matt did in his first season as coach it's just a a, a little bit of a you know foreshadowing or a preview to some of the things we're going to have to keep an eye on in year two when they get back uh, back together in April.
2: How gradual was that process of Matt Eberflues being able to get to the point where he uh, did talk in, in respect to the give and take and the feedback he got from players. And, and I guess what I'm asking is, did you sense being around the team as regularly as you were throughout the season? You know, you go back to OTAs in the first mini camp and there was some pushback and Jalen Johnson was one of those guys that provided it. And if I think if you go back, it wasn't, he benched for one.
0: Yeah, he wasn't uh, running with the starters. Well? Yeah. For yeah, a few it, practices.
2: So a l- lot of new coaches, are, it's going to take a while, but by the end of the year, that stiffness that you described or that you, you want to be uh, – relatability is a big thing now for, for NFL head coaches, pro sports coaches in, in any league, but how, how did you see that evolve and maybe improve?
0: I yeah, I think it's worth keeping an eye on. I think it's TBD because I th- I do think that when you get to locker clean out day and guys who had initial energy in the early stages of training camp and through September are are, are using the words grievances and and concerns, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's a, a little bit of an alarm bell goes off and go, okay, let's let's keep tabs on this. Let's see um, try to gather more information, obviously, as time goes on to what specifically they're talking about and how the coaching staff can improve it. And who knows, like we still haven't gotten to the point where the Bears have made it official that their coaching staff is intact for 2023. So I think there's a lot of people on the beat that are anticipating some form of change here. We don't know what that looks like. And they, they've been pretty, uh, I, I don't know, stealth is the right word, but not, not, not real forward in sharing some of the thought processes that they're thinking about there.
2: Well, I think that's interesting because uh, continuity is something you want to embrace in, in a organization that stresses culture at the same time. We don't know really as much as we we talk about the team, as much as you're around the team, You know, we're not privy to a lot of the things that go on in these meeting rooms. And this is a coaching staff that is together for the first time. And you just don't know who might've made an impression positively or negatively. We're not, you know, in those uh, behind those closed doors. So I, I'm waiting to see, like everyone else, what Matt Eberflus does with his staff. Before we move on from this topic, Dan, I, from a football perspective, though, there are things that, you know, analytically, I think we'd have to take a deeper dive and closer look at. But number one, his clock management skills weren't egregiously bad, but there are always going to be times with an NFL coach at the end of a half, at the end of a game, you're like, well, you know, why isn't the tempo greater here? Couldn't you use, use a timeout there? And, there's isolated cases you could point to throughout the season where I think you, you raised an eyebrow there. Secondly, I'm wondering defensively, they were so bad. Is this the <laughs> – h- how related to the the scheme was the decline in the defense or was it just because of the talent? And does Matt Eberflus have any other tricks up his sleeve bes- besides the cover 243 tri- traditional scheme that we have seen so often? And you wonder – about creativity for a coach that is Mr. Punt and Pin um, (laughs) and believes in that so much. So there are football isolated things that you could have in debates, but I just don't know overall if you you saw anything that really stood out that was a glaring
0: problem. Well, I was going to say situationally, I don't know that, you know, there are things that you can disagree with philosophically and and like, okay, you're going to punt from the 32-yard lines. That's a, a philosophical thing that you can criticize, but I never sensed the lack of forethought, right? Like it always felt like Matt and that staff were two or three plays ahead and understanding, okay, if we get to this situation, here's what we're going to do. It wasn't a haphazard slipshod effort of trying to get things organized in crucial moments. And I think that's important. Now, again, philosophically, you're going to have differing approaches. and, and, And I think that Matt showed at times that, uh, maybe more conservative than people in 2023 want him to be in certain circumstances, but he backs it up with his own reasoning. And ultimately over time, you're going to have a body of work that that tells you about those things.
2: I, I appreciated that because I, look, everybody's different, but the way that I view The football world or the the, kind of the philosophies were more aligned with the way that I am comfortable watching football teams be put together and football games be coached just because I think he was consistent in that. That's what you want from any coach is just a consistency, even though you might disagree with certain decisions in certain situations, as you point out, there was a consistent logic applied and there was a consistent approach that he used.
0: I always go back to one of the most fatal losses during my time on the beat and it was that Bears loss at home to the Chargers in 2019 that was basically the bottom dropping out of the season when they kneeled down <laughs> instead of trying to run or pass the ball to shorten a field goal and then had the ball positioned on a hash mark that their kicker didn't want the ball positioned on. And it was just this moment of like a lack of forethought, a lack of uh, attention to detail that that bit them in the butt, you know, and, and, and caused a major ripple effect of of struggle and failure. And I didn't get that at any point during the season that they weren't ready for these moments. And so I think that's an encouraging part of this thing. Matt's got to just figure out in, in 2023, like just how do we push all of this forward and how do we keep our processes smooth and make them smoother? And again, I think that uh, such a big part of this is going to be making sure that those initial energy bursts and connections that you established are able to survive even if you are still a third or a fourth place team for a full season.
2: And one of the reasons I think that a D is way too harsh is because to me, the biggest development of this season was related to an adjustment in the coaching staff, by the head coach who had to put heads together with the offensive coaches. You give Luke Getze credit. You give Matt Eberflute's credit. You give Andrew Janoco credit. You give Justin Fields certainly most of the credit because he's the immense talent that did, you know, emerge during that mini-buy. But let's face it without the willingness or the openness by the head coach to say, we got to figure something out. We got to take a practical approach to this problem and solve it. Let's do this. Let's allow him to do that. Let's move the pocket. Let's design some runs. Let's play to his strengths. When you find a head coach that allows his assistants to tailor schemes and game plans around the skills of the players. To me, that's a strong coaching move. That's a good head coach. And that's what I think Matt Eberflus showed me this year, as much as anything was that he's not afraid. It's not my way or the highway. He can have discipline, but also have flexibility because discipline is the way you structure your, your team and your philosophy. Mm-hmm. But you got to have flexibility when it comes to schemes and game plans. Yeah,
0: be adaptable. Don't be stubborn. Obviously, I think we know that there are a wide array of opinions on what Justin Fields' second season with the Bears was. But I think the one thing that's undeniable is that they got something unlocked there in October that was critical to get unlocked at a time that it was critical to get it unlocked. And now it's uh, all about leveling him up as they go forward. So let's see where they go.
2: I'd give him a C then. That'd be my grade. I'd give Lucy a C.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd be right there with you. I may, may, Maybe throw a minus on the end of it just because I don't like that 14 in the loss column. But, yeah, I think I think that's right about where it belongs. You're
2: never going to get hired by the Bears if you gave him a C minus. <laughs> give him a C. If you want to get your resume on his desk. You got you to be fair there, Dan. So I'm going to give him a C. You go C minus, okay? You're a tough grader.